When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Acast Recommends. Every week, we pick one of our favourite shows. And this is one we think you're going to love. Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd, and I recently had a baby with Ed Miliband. A baby podcast, that is. It's a spin-off of our show, Reasons to be Cheerful. It's called Cheerful Book Club, and it's conversations with some of the best writers working in the world today. You'll really enjoy our chats with people like US broadcasting legend Rachel Maddow, literary giant Ian McEwan, and the big short and moneyball author Michael Lewis. Feed your brain with ideas from the Cheerful Book Club. You'll find us on the excellent Acast app or wherever else you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from Ireland and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello there, welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. We're joined by, well, we're joined by you guys on Facebook Live for the first 10 minutes or so, just to give you a little tease of what's coming up in today's show. I'm Andrew Musgrove, joined by a few familiar faces, Chris Woff and Mark Douglas. And um, another positive weekend for Newcastle United. Uh, obviously, you guys were both there. A nice 2 1 win against Stoke. I mean, Mark, how would you, you sum it up? It was an excellent result, um, and I thought a really good performance by Newcastle as well. They were full of. Um, Full of energy from the start. I thought they um, they had a few moments of uncertainty against uh, a, a really decent Stoke team um, who, who didn't really play that well on the day. But I, I think again, you know, there's, there's a question mark of whether Stoke didn't play that well or Newcastle's formation, system, and players kind of forced Stoke into not being, not playing very well, which I think was probably the case. Actually, so much hard work from Newcastle on that day. It was talked quite a lot about Matt Ritchie and how important he was, but he worked so hard. Uh, Marino was excellent again. Um, you know, he, every single player in that team, I thought, I thought on Saturday did their, did their bit. Um, and the most pleasant thing for Newcastle is they're scoring a lot of goals. You know, they're, they're, they're managing to find um, the net when they need to. I, I, I thought even when it went to one-one, you know, we've been in positions last season even where it got edgy and you felt like, oh, they can lose this game. It didn't really ever feel like that on Saturday. I, I felt like Newcastle were confident. Um, if, if, there were, if any, either team was going to score a goal after it went to 1-1 you always felt it's going to be Newcastle because they played with a bit of a bit of confidence and I think it's a team really finding their feet in the Premier League and you know three wins from five games is um, I think ahead of par of where you know I would have hoped that they would have been you know if they had seven points at this stage I would have been happy with that nine points is really good and obviously they go to Brighton now on on Sunday with the potential to kind of like to, to build on that as well before the really tough games come you know I haven't played any of the really top teams apart from Spurs yet um, but you know Stoke are a really competent Premier League team and beating them is something that Newcastle haven't done for a while so yeah it was a really positive day and I think you can see um, in particular with the players how hard they're working and how um, I, I think what's really pleasing is that the, the, the guys like Matt Ritchie um, Mikel Marino, Christine Atsu, you know, these players are improving. Um, and, and that's something we haven't been Everybody remembers the days of Alan Pardew and players getting Pardewed and nobody, you know, and people not seeing where they went and stuff like that. Well, this is the complete opposite, isn't it? You've got loads of players in that team now playing 
a heck of a lot better than they were before. Good coaching, confident team, um, a crowd that's behind them. There's a lot of factors um, sort of giving Newcastle a bit of momentum at the moment. And just on the mention of Pardew, I suppose back in his, in his time when Newcastle would draw level or you know the team would come from behind, maybe got the feeling that if see if Stoke had got the goal and Stoke would have gone on to to win the game. Whereas there is a there has been a change um, under, under Benitez. Very much so. Uh, as Mark says, there was never really a point you didn't think Newcastle were going to go on and win. I have to be fair on Stoke, though. I think that's been missed out a little bit. I thought it was a very, very good game. First 15 minutes aside, I thought both teams really contributed to the game. I thought if you were a Stoke fan who'd been at the match and you're watching a match of the day, you'd been wondering where a few of the chances were because there were certainly a couple of Rob Elliott ones which were missed out. Mm. And don't get me wrong, Newcastle played very, very well, but it was a very good Stoke team. And that almost says even more about the fact Newcastle went on to win it, even when they conceded. It was... It was a game where both teams could have scored numerous chances, but Newcastle had that belief. And Hossler, as we know, missed a hat-trick of opportunities, could and should have taken at least one of them. But at the end of the day, they, they got the goal. They probably could have had another couple more. And it, it is this belief that we, we believe in what the manager is telling us to do. We believe in the vision of the way forward. Uh, we're going to work hard together, be compact. And then on the break, lightning quick. And I think that's what's so impressive about Newcastle the last three games first two games it probably didn't click as, as they wanted it to and I still think the passing needs to improve their passing accuracy is one of the worst in the Premier League I still think it's only about 67% yeah. that's one thing that needs to improve and when that really clicks the pace that they have on the break the likes of Atsu, Richie, uh, Hosselu if he can actually start scoring the goals being the focal point Marino breaking forward Perez who I think has come on leaps and bounds I thought he was fantastic mm. on Saturday he's out of physicality all these players as Mark says are improving and Rafa's working with them together Christian Atsu for large parts of last season you were thinking not really sure about this one but you can see what a full pre-season Rafa's done for him as well and he's come back uh, really confident playing really well Jamal Lascelles just keeps getting better and better Kieran Clark, there were doubts of when he was in the Premier League he now is Mr Dependable at the back and I think that it is just a team who can grow together and look we shouldn't get carried away there are going to be bumps along the way but for now I think that Newcastle fans are celebrating their team and rightly so because they're playing very very well at the moment As Chris mentioned there the chances for Yossi we had quite a few we tend to say this about Mitovic you know they're getting in the positions mm. I mean was it just a, a bad day in front of goal for Jocelyn do you think um, he is the number one uh, striker? Yeah I mean he's definitely the number one striker I, I, I thought I thought his all round game was pretty, was pretty good it has been pretty good since he, since he came in um, and I think he adds a lot you know they've changed the way that they play from last season last season it was about Dwight Gale um, he was the man who led the line and there was definitely a, a, a case with Gale where he wasn't touching the ball that, that much and actually I understand that I think halfway through the season he, he, he sort of sought a meeting with Rafa and said look you know, I'm, I'm not I don't feel like I'm getting involved enough in these games I know I'm scoring but I don't feel like I'm getting involved enough in these games uh, and Rafa sort of said no that, that, you know, that's not what we want from you I think Hosselu is getting more involved in the game. You can see that. Like he's 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 a big focal point for Newcastle. He's a real outlet ball. And I think um I, I think the, the performance on Saturday was good because he was able to do his job. Look, I mean there were two sort of bad misses probably you would say, especially the one just in the second half. I mean that was a bad miss. You've got to get it on the target. Um, you've got to get on target but you know I think he played really well and I, I you know I wouldn't it doesn't really matter as long as they win you know as long as they win it doesn't That's matter case, and, yeah. and I think I, I think the thing with, with him is you know you've got to be honest he's a £5 million striker 
And, you know, if he was a 15, 20 million pound striker, which is kind of the Mitrovic thing, and that's why there's maybe greater expectations of Mitrovic. So maybe people did turn around and say, oh, well, you know, if that was Mitrovic, he would have got, yeah, Mitrovic was a 15 million pound striker. Bit more pressure on him. Hosselu, I think, um, has come in and, you know, he could have scored against, should have scored, really. I mean, there was only Fabianski's absolutely stupendous save, and it was a brilliant save. He could have had two goals in three games. Now, if he gets eight goals this season and as many you know and plays like he has done in the first three games that will be the best five million pound that Newcastle have spent for uh, for a long time remember I mean Riviere was five million he's already done it all he's already done more in three games than Riviere did in the entire time he was here you know and you have to kind of look at it like that I, I thought he played well on, on Saturday and obviously the narrative changes if they don't win the game and those misses cost you know, it obviously has a massive. Uh, it obviously has a massive impact, and I think then the narrative changes, and it is Hostley's fault. But um, you know, just the fact that he created a lot of that space and gave the space for um, some of the other players to come meant it was key. And, and you know, you can't really quibble with his contribution for the first three games that he's played in. Um, he was all right actually at Huddersfield as well. I, I thought, came on, yeah. yeah, and then I thought he was really good on Saturday. If he'd have scored a goal, he would have said he was potentially a man of the match contender. Um, obviously, he didn't, so you know he's kind of you know, he's marked down for that. But uh, it looks like a good find, and and I think the key with Newcastle now is it is a little bit about momentum. As long as they kind of maintain this momentum, the players will play because this is going to be a group that's going to need a bit of confidence because they're probably not the most talented group in the Newcastle have ever had in the Premier League. But I doubt you'll find many that are more committed than this lot. Um, it, this little elements of the Hewton group of 2011. Um, but I think this group actually has a little bit more tactical nous than that group. Um, and that's come from the way that Benitez has created this culture that, um, that Newcastle have benefited from. We'll get on to, to Chris Hewton in a little while, but obviously the match winner was, again, Jamal Lasalle's and... He's really come out and shown a maturity, despite being such a young player. We, we saw a couple of years back after the McLaren disaster, and then he obviously was captain last season. But you know, he wasn't first choice at the start of this season. Obviously, he was helped by Lejeune's injury at Spurs. But you know, he's knuckled down, and he, he is keeping a very good defender in Lejeune out of the team, Chris. He is, and I was really impressed. And actually, spoke to him after the game on Saturday, and. Um, last season, don't get me wrong, he did a very, very good job. But but he was at the age of twenty-two. And it, with the pressure on Newcastle last year to get up, he was growing into the role and he, and he did a very good job over the course of the season. But over the summer and through now, he's matured so much and he speaks so well. Um, and what he what he said about Hosley when Hosley came over and, and hugged him, basically said, "Look, you you got me out of it there. You got me out of one there." And Lascelles just said to us after he said, "Well, I could make a mistake at the back, and I know Hosley's going to go and score." It's about this is it's all about the team. It's a team ethic, and you can see his teammates do look up to him. Um, and I think his, his maturity in terms of talking about uh, the way that he's trying to score goals and, and, and that he believes he needs to score more and that there are opportunities to do it from set pieces in the Premier League with there being zonal marking. Um, and I think he's benefiting as well from being alongside Q and Clark. The two of them do very, very well together. And Q and Clark, I think, has almost been forgotten about a little bit in the last couple of weeks, don't get me wrong. I'm not taking anything away from themselves, but Q and Clark has been such a consistent performer now for Newcastle for six to eight, nine, twelve months even. Um, and I think that someone like Clark you look at and also you identify potentially Hosselu and you, that's what's so, so impressed me about the recruitment since Rafa's been here these are players who at other clubs haven't necessarily shown there were doubts about Kieran Clark Hosselu couldn't get in the Stoke team 
Rafa hasn't just looked at what they've done out on the pitch there. He's he's gone and he's got all uh, he's spoken to people behind the scenes, but he's also made sure that he's looked at what parts of the game they've got and what he can hone. He sees a player in Hosselu, he sees someone who he can turn into the striker he needs in the Premier League. Maybe he's not the prolific goal scorer, but the central focus of the team. Q and Clark, he saw the component parts with A, someone's very comfortable on his left foot. He can be a leader, he can even bring the ball out, he can score goals. And he's worked with him, he's worked on those parts of his that part of his game where he thinks I cut the mistakes out of him. And so far it's working so well and him and Lascelles are doing very well and it's gonna take a little bit for Lejeune to get in the team, which is disappointing in some ways because I think he looks exciting, but at the same time it's a big very big positive for Newcastle because it shows they've got options there. As well as in Bembo, who's now playing left back and do a very good role there at the minute. Mm, definitely. Well, that's the, the teaser kind of video of an hour for Facebook Live. Um, the podcast will be live uh, later on the Chronicle website. Thank you very much for joining us. And we'll continue here. It's great to see Yedlin back as well, wasn't it? I mean, he, he's a big fan favourite, obviously. He's had his issues with injuries, but mm. it's great to see, see him back in the black and white. Yeah, because I think the the, uh, the other thing that Newcastle's sort of system relies on is two, uh, is potentially full-backs who are, who are quick, um, you know, can carry the ball forward. I think Mankio was, it was quite interesting because I think Rafa, um, I think one of the issues that Rafa's always had with his, with his full-backs is that, you know, they, they need to have uh, they need to ha- they need to have balance in their games. So they need to be able to get forward. But they need to be able to defend quite well as well. Which I think why Yedlin took him a while to kind of actually fully trust Yedlin last season, um, because I think Yedlin didn't play that much, did he? Until right at the end of the season, he was kind of he was out him, of the team. Sort of yeah, so you liked Anita at the start of the season, but he's obviously decided Yedlin has has kind of gone far enough. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's it, it's really good. I I always felt, I mean, you know, I was kind of pulling out a. A piece I wrote on August the seventh before the transfer window. I, I know that there was a lot of negativity around about the group and people saying that it's not good. It wasn't good enough. But I always felt like the mentality of the group was good. Maybe there's not quite enough quality there for Newcastle to kind of build on what they've done so far. I mean, if they finish fourth at the end of the season, it's like you know that 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 would be absolutely incredible. I, I think that would be the best. That would be the biggest achievement of Newcastle United. It probably, well, maybe in the Premier League era. That would be to finish fourth. I think if they did finish fourth this season, which I, I just can't see happening, they just haven't got the the quality and they haven't got the, the, the sort of enough depth to, to be able to kind of do that. But if they did, um, that would be incredible. But I think it's just that little thing, isn't it? It's just that little thing at the moment of the mentality is so good in this group, and and that's why I was kind of really frustrated at the start of the season when you got all these pundits climbing out of the woodwork saying. Um, that Rafa's losing his squad by saying he hasn't getting enough quality because just completely misunderstood the way that the squad feel about the manager and the way that the manager feels about those players. Now, you know, he said to us in press conferences when he's been asked outright, will you leave Newcastle United if you don't get what you want? Rafa Benitez has stood, sat in front of us and said on and off the record, um, I feel like I will be letting down my players. And there's that kind of bond that I think that Rafa has with the squad that's just a different, you know, we're not just talking about um, Rafa Benitez as the man at Liverpool who was in a hurry to win and, you know, was kind of talked about by Justine Gerard as being quite a cold character. I think that the, there's a lot more warmth in that relationship between manager and player. Um, and it comes from being in a very positive environment in Newcastle United. Basically, the positivity there is the fans love Rafa Benitez and that creates this huge, like, 
that aura of goodwill around everything that happens at the club that Rafa Benitez is basically part of. So the team feel that as well. And, um, you know, I mean, a word for Gallagher's flags as well. You know, they keep doing these, you know, and, and, um, and the other support groups who are kind of uh, a big part of it as well because the atmosphere was good on Saturday again. Very, very supportive. Really good. These guys are, you know, you know and, and they're part of it. Everyone who's going at the moment is part of it. Every, every person, because, you know, look, let's be honest, it, it, probably you go beneath the surface, there are issues, there are things that need to be sorted out. A lot of issues at Newcastle United. The owner is not, helping a lot of the progress of Newcastle United but day to day you can see what the manager is trying to do and people are buying into that and it means that this would have been two three years ago under under Pardew what happened in the transfer window would have permeated everything what's happening this season is that because Rafa Benitez is kind of trusted so well you get the negativity of the transfer window which went on for a couple of weeks because it was an international break then then you're kind of getting Benitez coming back or, or even Paco Moreno coming back, making the right noises and people sort of saying, well, look, I don't trust the owner. And it really is the old thing of support the team, not the regime. I think there's a lot of that going on. People are just saying, Do you know what, I don't want to get involved in all of that at the moment because until I need to confront that, I'm not going to bother confronting it. And Saturday felt like a very happy football club. Do you think, this is going to sound a bit of a strange question, but obviously, you know, Rafa fell ill. Do you think him being away from the limelight for, for that week or so. That, do you think that played into that? Um, he didn't have the chance to maybe raise the issues because we were expecting him to do that in that first press conference. I, no, I, th- I think he would have been very similar to what he did on uh, Friday. He would have been very similar to that if he'd have come back. He, he, you know, I think there's no doubt that he was unhappy about what happened and he will be, I think there'll be a lot of scepticism about him and the owner and all of that but I think he just thought do you know what like there's no point now there's no point in creating the negativity of kind of like laying a few landmines he said his bit he was very honest I think all through the summer which you couldn't fault him for um, but I always felt like he would I, I know what you mean I think it I think the win at Swansea was a big win it was even bigger than Saturday in some ways because it sort of showed that Newcastle can go away it wasn't the West Ham win was a great win but it was Swansea really I think that said a lot because that was a big test of Newcastle's mentality a big test of of the squad and a big test of um, them against a team that you know they'll be battling with probably at the end of the season there'll be some there or thereabouts and uh, they passed that with flying colours and I think you can see the confidence in them now and you feel like they're going into Sunday against a Brighton team who um, have started okay themselves actually probably doing a little bit better than, than, than they thought they would do they're going there now and you kind of think you know it's not as much trepidation anymore because we know that Newcastle can compete at that level. They're going into some really tough games after the international break. But having said that, they've got Liverpool um, and they've got Palace at home as well. And you know, Newcastle could potentially could potentially have you know a decent number of points on the board by the end of um, by the sort of middle of October. If they get like twelve points, fifteen points on the on the board by the middle of October. So they've got Liverpool, Palace, who else have they got? They've got Brighton and who else in between Liverpool and uh, Southampton? Southampton, yeah, Southampton away. That's four games there. We, if you think they get another two wins out of those four, 15 points at the middle of, in the middle of October is a great return and a great platform for them as well. Um, so absolutely fair play to the manager, fair play to the players. Um, a lot of positive things happening at the moment um, on the field 
and in the in the in the sort of manager's office as well. Yeah, Chris. sorry, I was just going to say I was going to say about Rafa on when we did ask him about the transfer in front. It was interesting because I think that I think Mark is right. He, he tends to diffuse the situation once it's out the way, and I think he would have done that the week before. But I think the difference was a the Swansea game came in between. B, there was the stuff with his health and it became an interesting story. They'd watched it from the sofa and how do you imagine from the from the sideline? And so it was almost there were so many other things to talk about that he wasn't necessarily pressed on. It wasn't a pressing issue anymore. Newcastle had won back to back games by that stage. So I also think that the agenda almost had moved on to a certain degree. That what he was asked about was different. He was certainly was asked about it and he gave a very, very diplomatic answer. It was a very interesting answer. He said, Look, I fought during the summer, that was a term he used, I fought to try and get better players. Now I'm going to work with the players I currently have to make them the best they can be. I'm going to manage them and work with them. Mm. And it, that, that's, he has diffused the situation, but everything has it. it it's rosy. Maybe if they'd lost against Swansea, who knows, things might have been slightly different. But the way things have panned out, he rightly has made the decision that we leave that until January. And he's basically implied, he didn't say directly implied, that it will be something that will be revisited in January because mm. this, is, this is far from over. He's not happy about it. It's not just the fact he didn't get the players he wanted. There's the trust issues there with the owner, and there will arise again. This the three wins is great. There's a lot of positivity going on, but there still needs to be a resolution between owner and manager because there is a breakdown yeah. in relationship, and these three wins haven't changed that. And there was a, there was a few rumours floating around, wasn't there? Um, and I think there's some some substance in there that, that Newcastle, the hierarchy, were thinking of putting out a sort of clarification of some of the things that have been said about summer because you know obviously Newcastle United themselves, obviously the manager said a lot, but Newcastle United as a Organisation, Lee Charnley, Justin Barnes, Mike Ashley have not said anything about what happened in the summer. Now, normally around September, there has been obviously, I don't think there was last September because they felt like let Rafa kind of do the talking, but the season before they did issue something, didn't they, in September? Just to talk about how the transfer window had gone and all of that. Um, There's a fans forum coming up in September now. It might be interesting to see what, what comes out of that. That might be. Where um, that might be, where the kind of club say little bits and pieces, but you know, if they know what's good for them, they'll it'll kind of be left alone a little bit. And and you know, I think there was a comfort, there was a convergence of a few different factors. West Ham winning, mm. and then you know, West Ham have now got four points out of six games, so that suddenly became like oh, Slavon Village future isn't talked about anymore. Although I'm, having said that, I kind of I personally feel like. You know the wins and Rafa's group, and this being Rafa's group and stuff means he, you know, I, I'd be surprised. And I always felt like that that he's working on something here, and you know, I'm not saying that he's going to be around forever. Um, probably, you know, the ten years that he was talking about, some reason not talk, he doesn't talk about that so much anymore. But you know, go to West Ham. You've got to build your own. You've got to build this mentality again. Well, he's had two and a half. He's had a year and a half. Well, eighteen months over that actually now. Isn't it? It's March. Yeah. It's coming up to two Maybe years. Well, yeah. yeah. Um, eighteen. Yeah. Well. So that is he built it here. It's been built. The, the culture. I know we talk about the culture. The, that culture thing is. You know, people say, well, "What do you mean culture?" I mean a team that want to be better. A team that are you know look up to him. He's not going to find that everywhere. He might not find it at West Ham. Didn't find it at Real Madrid. Didn't find it even at Napoli potentially as much. Here, this is a group. This is Rafa Benitez's group. This is a... Benitez's DNA is all over this squad and all over the starting eleven and all over the way they play and all of that. And, you know, he's managed to do that in quite quick time. Um, I mean, it's his club at the moment, you know. It's more like Mike Ashley's... It's his team, sorry. 
Mike Ashley's club, but it's his everything else about it is Rafa Benitez's kind of club, and you know he'd have to he'd have to think about it, wouldn't he? Oh, if he got an offer from West Ham, I, I still think I still think that you know would you walk away? They're not going to pay him more than he's getting paid at Newcastle, um, and the fact that they now have three wins on the board out of five. Opportunities there, you know. The club obviously going to take the FA Cup seriously as well, from the fact that Mike Ashley's offering this huge bonus for the FA Cup, twenty-five million pounds for the bonus. Which, you know, I'm skeptical about that a little bit, but you know, let's see how they let's see what they do with the FA Cup this year, because um, you know if they've got twenty-five points, on well, the, the fifth board. round would be progress because I've never been there <laughs> and I'm Mike Ashley. So, but the, the thing, I mean. As Mark's saying about the team and the way they're doing it, and I wrote a piece yesterday, and it's just what is always I found nonsensical about Mike Ashley's running of the club is that the the overarching model he has is is buy players under the age of twenty six for hopefully a reasonable enough price, develop them, and then either you have an asset there you can sell for an exponential profit, or you have a player who is worth so much more to you in the team than what you paid for him. You've progressed him, you've made him better. And he's, in order to make that model work to the best possible way is you need a manager, you need a coach, you need a backroom staff who are going to get the utmost out of them and develop them and make them better. Now, he's never, he's always, before Rafa, it wasn't, the, the, it was the, there was all the talk about the head coaches that became under McLaren, but even the manager was only another member of staff. It didn't matter who was there. But that is the most crucial person in that model because they have to develop these players, they make them better. And you look, you run through the team and you look at the development in someone like Perez over the last year, Hayden since he's come in, Mikel Marino, you give him a year, Rafa, you can think what sort of a player he's going to be in the year's time, Jamal Lascelles, Kieran Clark, all these players. And so now the, the value of Newcastle's team is so much more than the 60 million or whatever it was that they paid for the team that played on Saturday. And... That that Rafa is not demanding a ridiculous amount of money. He didn't demand a ridiculous amount of money in the summer. What he wants is the flexibility to be able to bring in the odd experienced player to help with the development of the other players. And he wants to be able to marry profit and winning as he as he terms it. He went right uh, to Mike Ashley with a business plan for that. He doesn't believe the two are mutually exclusive. I don't believe the two are mutually exclusive. For some reason, Mike Ashley can't seem to get his head around this. And I think that that's where the big breakdown is, and it just it, it seems illogical to me because Ashley should look at him as Benitez as the biggest asset he's got, and for whatever reason he won't just quite give him that extra little bit of leeway to really really have a go at this. If you, I mean, I heard a few people in the summer saying, well, you know, he has paid X amount of money to manage, and maybe Mike Ashley was saying, well, actually go and prove yourself. I'm paying you this amount of money, so go and manage it, go and prove your worth, and that's yeah. what he's doing. He's getting on with the job, and he's yeah. saying, well, look. I'm dealing with the situation I and, and I, you know I can see to an extent you know my biggest fear when he first came in um, was I remember having a chat with somebody at Newcastle United about the um, Rafa coming in and, and them sort of like saying to me you know this is kind of the last roll of the dice in some ways because they're paying all this money for Rafa and if we don't stay up then it's almost like the idea that you know Mike Ashley will never want a good football manager again because he'll say well it didn't work and what was really surprising about that summer was that you know they did see that actually the value of what he had done nearly kept them up but obviously didn't but they did see past the results to an extent and, and saw what he was doing um, and you know I have some sympathy you know five million pounds he will be one of the better paid managers in the Premier League um, I have some sympathy with that idea but you know if you couldn't see you know, you almost feel like come down and see what he's doing at the training ground. Because I tell you, Lee Charney will vouch for 
what like what Rafa Benitez has managed to do at the football club. He, you know, they're not getting fifty-two thousand people at the ground because of Mike Ashley or because of Lee Charney. They're getting it there because of Rafa Benitez. So you know, it's that whole change. So the five million pounds is, you know, look, hey, he's really well paid, but he's really well paid because he's changing. You know, the, the club is becoming more. The club becomes more. Um, saleable because of Rafa. We had Brian Aitken on the podcast a few weeks ago, um, the uh, head of corporate affairs at Newcastle United, who who said there, you know, look, hey, it helps open doors when you talk about it. People, oh, what's Rafa like? You know, and, and so there is a bit of a, you know, I, I know it's it's not exactly a new thing to, to say that Rafa's, you know, a massive asset to Newcastle United, but um, it creates the background which helps towards results like Saturday. You know, Rafa's best one of the. the I think the key quotes that you could really take from Rafa was what he said to us uh, last autumn where he said, look, reputations are one thing, but you have to take the team with you. And basically to do that, you have to tell them what to do and they do it. And then if the results come, they'll stick with you. But if you keep doing it and you keep telling them that you should do this and you're basically saying, look what I won in 2011 or look what I won in 2008, the, the, the team will, they'll not listen to you anymore. What he's done is told them, given them instructions. They lost the first two games. He said, stick with it. Keep doing what you were doing, which is, you know, a sign of a good manager because he's got faith in his methods. Whereas Steve McLaren and, to an extent, um, Alan Pardew had to change what they were doing because they didn't, they weren't sure what was going on. And Newcastle kept playing the way they were playing, kept playing the way they were playing. They changed the few personnel, but it worked. And the players will go with you as long as that keeps happening. And the fans will keep going with you as long as that happens. And the fact, and why is it? Why does it keep happening? Why is it that the, the results are eventually bear out what his strategy is? Because the strategy you have to surmise that the strategy is the right one because it keeps Newcastle keep winning games. You know? I mean, how many games have they lost under Rafa Benitez in his two full seasons? Well, I think it's seven. No, about in the eight or nine. In the league, yeah, eight or nine in the league in sort of fifteen months. I mean, you know, Newcastle. This is this is a Newcastle United that. Um, under McLaren had lost more games in one year than they had in their entire history before then and suddenly now they've lost 8 in 15 months it's also that you just look at at what Rafa is doing in terms of the way that he's building that team and helping build the team and I think that's one of the reasons why as Mark says he would be reluctant even if West Ham did approach him for now although he's got problems with the owner none of that's actually infiltrating on his day to day running of the club in terms of yes transfers are affected but the way he's able to to manage the football uh, players he has there the way that he's been able to to start to, to make improvements to the training ground to the academy he is able to work with those players and make them better and as long as that is maintained at the current level that it is whereby he basically does have full autonomy over that he, he believes he can make this group better and he can progress them and it is his team to a certain extent and I think that that is for now crucial and that hasn't been affected, no matter what the problems you had with the owner, that hasn't been affected. He had the he had the, um, the hand of the owner on his shoulder at Real Madrid, didn't he? And, and all of that politics there um, that he hasn't he hasn't got here. To be fair, you know, um, Keith Bishop's been at more of the press conferences recently, but yeah, I don't yeah, think there's any, there on Friday. Again. I don't think there's anything to that other than you know, just that's what his job is. I think at Newcastle United, there's nobody feeding messages back to the owner or anything like that. It's not like that in Newcastle. It's a different set of problems in Newcastle. It's an intransigence of the owner to not really, you know, not really kind of take on board some of the lessons before. But he, I don't think he's been under, undermined in the no. way that he runs the team. Um, and the players, the players just like being at Newcastle United. 
we said, you know, it's been a long time since you've had a, a group from 1 to 11 that see Newcastle as a destination rather than a stepping stone. A stepping stone. But all 11 of them, you know, I mean, look, you, obviously, if, if Marino keeps playing the way he is and in two years' time, Newcastle are, are kind of 15th in the league, I'm sure there'll be other teams looking at him, but um, he's not come here to try and find another club. He's come here to, to because he thinks Newcastle's a big club. He likes, he wants to work with Benitez. There's all the players like that. Lascelles was linked with Chelsea last year and said, and he was kind of like, you know, a bit nonplussed by it. Whereas, you know, we know that Sissoko's, Kabai, uh, Debushi, um, you know, all of those players. Denver Bar, Denver Bar couldn't get out the door quick enough. Um, Papi Cisse, you, you know, kind of was looking up, looking elsewhere that first summer. Um, and, you know, look, you can't have a go at those players. You can't have a go at them because that's how they were sold the club and that's what it was about. But that's not the vision that these players have been sold. It's been sold as, come here, we'll try and build something here. Um, and, you know, it's a different model. It's a different model. And, and, and hopefully, if things keep hoping the way they are, then, then that will be the model that Newcastle will kind of keep, keep going with. And just on the fans, obviously, you know, we always hear the phrase, uh, the 12th man, but Mark Hughes said he wanted to keep them quiet and that was his aim and he didn't quite do that because obviously when you do concede a goal and you, you get, you know, you, the, the team become level, the fans play an important part. I mean, how, how important were they on, uh, on Saturday? Yeah, I think they were, they were very important. I think it was possibly the best atmosphere that's been there in a while. The West Ham atmosphere was very good, but I thought Saturday was up a notch. It just seemed loud all the way through. Fully supportive of the team, right? You saw the way they're playing at the moment. Because the first 15 minutes, I mean, Stoke started quite well. Mm. There was a few few times they broke forward, and Rob Elliott had to be quick off his line. But there was never a point where the crowd ever even when even when Stoke equalised, the crowd were very much with them. Um, and I think that they they are playing a important role. And it is a as, as Mark says, it's it's very much support the team. It's support Rafa. There's a there is a genuine affection for the manager which is reciprocal and he feels for uh, the fans and also for the team if the fans appreciate what they're seeing at the moment that the players are working extremely hard that they can see what they're trying to do and I think that that as a football fan is what you want A, you want to be able to dream and believe but also you, B, you want to see players give their all but C, you want them to, to look at the a team even if it doesn't work you want to see what they're trying to do mm. and the fans can see what they're trying to do they can see what Rafa's trying to do they can see the way they're trying to play and what they are trying to achieve and even if they hadn't won on Saturday if Hosselu's chances had come back to bite them and, and they'd only got a draw even lost the game at least you can see that they probably should have won the game and it, it's working like that and I thought that that was the problem to Steve McLaren that as much as he wanted to see every now and again they were playing nice football and there were a few times where they did play alright there's very few games you came out and thought they should have won that country. Stoke actually, ironically, mm. probably was one of them when Jack Button had a really good game. Some of the way, some the way, yeah. But then there was a, there was a run of games. I remember speaking to Watford, and after a game, he's just saying the same thing to me. He'd spoken, all oh, played well, and they've been awful. And I just said to him, "Steve, I'm not being funny, but you've said this to me the last six weeks. It's not getting any better. Is there anything else you want to say?" And there is a genuine vision and idea of what they can do and the fans are fully buying into that and they, they are important I mean yes it is cliche to a certain extent but they, they are very important and teams aren't going to want to come to St James's mm-hmm. Park 52,000 fans fully behind the team rather than coming here thinking oh well the fans could turn here there's not there doesn't look like there's going to be a risk of that yeah. there's an intelligence about the whole way that Newcastle are thinking about the challenge in front of them and, and, and one of the things I will say about McLaren was he did have a vision he did have an idea of how he wanted Newcastle to play it was just that that idea was 
jarringly out of sorts with what, he, what the, where the Premier League was going. He wanted to play a possession-based game in the year that Leicester won the title on 40% possession on average. Rafa has a bit more, I think he's a bit more in tune with the trends of the way football's going because he is an obsessive, you know, he is an obsessive. He still sees the trends. I'm sure last season he would have been all over what was going on in the Premier League, even though Newcastle were in the Championship because he watched us all the games. And Newcastle's, um, it's quite interesting really the way that they're playing because it's not the same as last season. No, um, and I think, you know, there was a lot of stick for Newcastle last season because they weren't playing very entertaining football and, and they weren't. Um, for a lot of the, for a lot, especially the second half of the season, but they had to play a lot with the ball because teams weren't prepared to take them on. Whereas every team that's come to St James Park so far has been prepared to have a little bit of a go at Newcastle. Like Stoke, they've got enough attacking armoury to have a go at Newcastle. So Newcastle can sit back a little bit and, and play with forty four percent or whatever it was of percent of, of possession. Um, and and it's kind of like we, you know we said at the end we said it last season. Look. Rafa's tactics possibly suit the, the Premier League a little bit better and so far that's the case it'd be really interesting to see how they do against the next set of big clubs that they play because Tottenham was a very different strategy to what has happened against West Ham Swansea and Stoke because at Spurs they really didn't play with the ball at all they let Spurs have all of the ball I, I mean before they went down to 10 men I mean they were about 30% possession I think they were really happy for Spurs to have as much of the ball as well. But of course, that was with Dwight Gale up front. Um, but I think there's just an intelligence about the way. And, you know, they, they just seem to like, you know, it, it's like Rafa says, isn't it? You know, it, it's all about trying to be, trying to anticipate the problems before they become problems. So they don't need to, they're not reactive. They're kind of trying to be a bit proactive about the way that they go about things. And for the last three games, it's worked, you know. And that's why he wanted a left by what this one don't get me wrong, Chancellor Mbemba has been very well at the moment, far better than I thought he could adapt to that role. But the issue with not having a recognised left-back is that teams know that they don't have a recognised left-back. So before going into the game, you will get some teams who look to target that. And therefore, eventually, if Chancellor This is Acast Recommends. Every week, we pick one of our favourite shows... And this is one we think you're going to love. Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd, and I recently had a baby with Ed Miliband. A baby podcast, that is. It's a spin-off of our show, Reasons to be Cheerful. It's called Cheerful Book Club, and it's conversations with some of the best writers working in the world today. You'll really enjoy our chats with people like US broadcasting legend Rachel Maddow, literary giant Ian McEwan, and the big short and moneyball author Michael Lewis. Feed your brain with ideas from the Cheerful Book Club. You'll find us on the excellent Acast app or wherever else you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from Ireland and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Member comes up against Aiden Hazard or someone who's going to, they will just target whoever the fullback is. And that's what Rafa wants to be able to, to cover any bases like that. And he's been left a little bit short there, albeit it's work at the moment and hopefully it continues to work in that area. But that is what the best teams do is they identify a problem and they're just continuously exploited. Mm-hmm. And Newcastle potentially have a weakness there which Rafa wanted to avoid. And that's why, uh, but what they are doing is it's been, it's been very good at. at Every team has limitations, and the castle at the moment are being very good at protecting those limitations and making sure that, that, that they play to their strengths. 
But isn't it nice to be positive? I mean, it feels really nice. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's very a good much, feeling. Yeah. And, I think, and I think that you can see that a bit of that in Rafa. I think that, you know, even though he's probably confident in what he was doing, um, the, the idea that it's been borne out obviously reduces a bit of the, the, the stress. He's a very sort of calm guy. But, you know, he wants to be in a league against some of these big managers and to go toe-to-toe with them and not feel like, you know, he's going to get their honour hiding to nothing when they go there. Well, you know, look, some of the... Some of the good, some good teams have played against Man City, for example, and shipped five, six goals already. So it is the, the way the Premier League's kind of developing is, you know, is quite is quite positive for Newcastle because it, it does feel like a top four, maybe even like really only three teams. I would say have really impressed so far: uh, Man City, Man United. Man City in particular, Man United look, looks as if they're going to be efficient. Chelsea, after the first game of the season, have looked pretty good as well. Um, Arsenal, you'd say, start to improve a little bit. That's going to be a tough, tough game for Newcastle. Everybody else has weaknesses. I mean, Liverpool, like Newcastle, if Liverpool don't, if Liverpool kind of don't pick up in the next, the next game, Newcastle fancy their chances against mm. Liverpool. You know, they can't mark, they can't, they can't defend very well. Well, the sounds been great in the air. Newcastle will fancy their chances they'll have to defend really well and that could be a tough game but um, but at the moment like you said it's positive because you're looking forward to the next game you're thinking Brighton right that'll be great and then Liverpool at home wow that's going to be that is going to be a, a great yeah. occasion because it's you know it's everything isn't it it's like the first sort of big kind of you know Sunday game obviously I know they had Spurs but that was a little, there was a little bit of trepidation around that game I just felt a little bit of nervousness in the city around that, but there'll be a, it'll be a proper, you was, know. I think, I, I think I saw a tweet Gallagher flag, so had something special for that game. I think the tweet said. So obviously, you know, it's going to be a, a brilliant atmosphere. Yeah. Um, you know, before the kickoff, but I do want to draw a comparison to Everton. A lot of people, you know, were envious, sort of speak of the money they were spending. Um, they haven't started well. They don't look like they can defend at all. You know, obviously they got rid of Lukaku, mm. didn't really bring in a replacement. I mean. There was a cap- I mean, I think you you were quite uh, sceptical of the players. Yeah, yeah. well, I wasn't as much sceptical. I just felt like you know you, you couldn't you couldn't judge. They, they were they brought in a flurry of of good additions, and they're obviously spending a lot of money. And it's and it's difficult to be you can be critical. It's a bit like the Newcastle situation where we've been really positive about the team, but there are aspects of what Newcastle are doing that, that really concern me as a club. Everton's summer business, I didn't think was that great in terms of they didn't replace the two I thought it was Barkley that I thought was going to go as well and I felt like they didn't replace Lukaku with the money that they had um, and and that, that was always going to be a problem and people rush to judgement of like saying that teams spend a lot of money it's not about spending the money necessarily it's about spending it right we saw that with Newcastle spending a lot of money and the McLaren they spent a lot of money and didn't spend it right what Everton are doing which I think you, you have to give them an immense credit for they're building a new stadium. Their facilities are getting improved. You saw they spent all that money on Lewis Gibson. They're trying to build their academy. As a club, they are growing, and they've, they've had a bad start to the season. And you know they've had a really tough start. They've had a very season. difficult start. You know they've, they've had, had some, a big caveat. Yeah. Um, but I, I didn't feel like there was much balance to what they bought. You know they spent thirty million pound on Jordan Pickford, which will be good money in the, spent in the long run. But you know thirty million pound on goalkeeper when they could have Pepe Reina or something like that for five million. Look, Pickford. Yeah, you know, Pickford's a really good goalkeeper, but it was a lot of money to spend on that. They signed Sandro Ramirez and they're not going to play him. Newcastle would have played Ramirez if they'd have got him. They signed Clarsen from Ajax, who I always felt that might take a while to get. They signed Rooney and I wouldn't have touched Rooney with a barge pole this summer. 
the guy is just not I would not have Rooney anywhere near I, I know he scored a couple of goals but he's ponderous he's slow you can see that every time he played for Manchester United last season they looked more one dimensional and you're replacing Lukaku with, with Rooney it's just not I just don't no offence to Rooney who I think had a great career but he's not a player that he once was and he'll be on a lot of money um, you know you've seen his, his off field indiscretion hints to me at a player that um, doesn't have maybe have you know has has some off the field issues that um, you know are, are one of the reasons why probably he's not still at Manchester United so I don't know I think Everton will get it right and in the long term if Everton keep investing in what they're investing in and Newcastle don't invest in what they're investing in they will draw away from Newcastle, from Newcastle and that's what I worry about because this new stadium you know I said it at the weekend you wrote every time that a team moves to a bigger stadium or invests in their infrastructure in Newcastle don't Newcastle's advantage which is this 52,000 stadium and this passionate football crazy city and the, the you know all these things that is being eroded little by little and that's the worry but um, I never really thought they'd done that well this summer I, I just didn't see the abuse over that similar to Bournemouth you know like Defoe was great at Sunderland but there were signs at the end of his time at Sunderland that he was there was signs of slowing up in terms of his goal ratio and all of that and you know you have to buy the right players and if you've got as much money as Everton have got it's actually sometimes a, a curse as much as a blessing because you know you can spend a lot of money but then there's massive pressure on you next, the next season and it's like we say they had a difficult start to the season Everton yeah but they invested enough money oh, where they were trying to compete with or, or that money I think certainly the owner would have said here's this money we want you to be battling for top four top six well, they're a million miles away from that. Probably further away from it than, you know, than some of the other teams sort of trying to push in there. You know, they're, 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 they will have a good season. They will be in the top 10, probably top eight. Um, but Coleman might lose his job, you know, because if they, they've had a bad start and they've got to, they've got to cut, sort of kick on. Um, and Rooney's not helped him with that, has he? Because, you know, you ask all sorts of questions there and we talked about the good mentality at Newcastle. And not every club has that. I suppose, is it, in a way, Newcastle don't have that one big name that stands out, whereas you look at some of the teams, for instance, Rooney Devlin, he is the big name, look elsewhere, one or two teams have got that one name who's been, got this reputation, got the big wage, whereas at Newcastle, everyone's singing from the from the same hymn sheet, Chris. Yes, I mean, there isn't, there isn't that at Newcastle. I don't necessarily think it's always a negative to have a, a big focal point figure, Alan Shearer's that for Newcastle for years not necessarily the biggest personality in terms of going out and being someone as, as, as brash and public but in terms of he was Mr Newcastle and and rightly so I think that he, he can build it it's about the personality of the person who is in that in situ there Rooney as Mark says there are question marks over the stage of the career of his career that he's at obviously the off field issues and whatnot. I think that I can see the emotional pull for why I haven't went back from it. Was it, it? It's the same sort of thing almost again for 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 a local player, someone who who really has gone and and set the world light out. Man United, they want him to come back and and hopefully give a little bit towards the end of his career. But yeah, that that is what Rafa Rafa realised that this summer they didn't have that. Once I got the point where yes, I don't I don't actually have them. Not even the money, the capacity to bring the players that I necessarily want to yet. It's got to be about the team, and you can't. Rather than have a focal point who you build the team round off the pitch, it is everyone is of is of an equal level. We are all in this together, fighting 
to better ourselves. And I think that they're, they're two different approaches, both of which can work. The other one, where you've got to have a specific person who is who is the the, the focal point of it. And you, you need to pick that person very sensibly. Newcastle have gone down the other route under Rafa, and it's working very well at this moment in time. Hopefully, long may that continue. Although I'm sure if you asked Rafa now, he would very much like to be able to bring in. Mm. Uh, so a stellar name next summer to be able to build a team around. Benitez is the star name at Newcastle. Yeah. That's that's he's the draw. Yeah. The manager is. And just on, on Benitez, I mean, Chris, you've you covered the, the, the kind of food bank work at the food bank um, last week. It was great to see Isaac Hayden. I mean, obviously in this day and age, it's terrible that anyone should have to uh, to go there just to put food on the table. But it, it's another kind of element that Benitez has the way that Benitez has changed things. You know, much more involved. Um, in the community, it's great to see him giving his time up, and obviously Benitez, you know, don- donated you know, his own personal donation. I think um, it's it's great to see the players getting involved in, in in charities in the community. It really is, and when you give the point about Benitez, I mean, as, as you've said, it, the the thing about food banks is that they're, they're both a terrible thing and a brilliant thing at the same time. They shouldn't be needed, but then at least the community is is, is coming in and filling for for what local government or national government or whoever has, has, let, has let people down in this area because a lot of these people who are going there do have jobs some of them on zero hour contracts and yet still need a turn to food banks but what was really interesting was there was a rep- obviously representatives from Newcastle there and one of them was talking about the fact that the Benitez wanted to give a donation and they uh, said oh well, why don't we come and get it and they said oh why don't you come meet the manager before the game on Saturday and they were like oh no, he won't be able to. Say, no, he, Rafa would love to do that. And Rafa, building up to a big game, took five minutes. I don't know, I don't know, maybe me longer. I wasn't there for, for the time that he did it, but went across and, and he got the photograph with them, mm. gave across the check. And he really, he, he buys in the community. He's done that in Liverpool. His family's got the charity there. He's always back at the Hillsborough Foundation. There. He did the same at Valencia. He did the same at Napoli. And this is, it's not just that he buys in, but he fully, he fully embraces that. He feels a part of that. And Isaac Hayden as well said, so as soon as he came down last year, he saw exactly what it was, and he's he talking about living in a mansion four miles away. And you look and you see there's people who can't even. He, he comes in, says to his girlfriend, "Oh, we're going out for dinner." And there's 50 different options. Or she could go down the shop and get whatever. Whereas these people are coming in and they just need specific things for the food bank. And he was he even said himself, the players need to do even more. And it's just it's this fact that in Newcastle, as in so many other parts of England and other parts of Europe, the football club represents the community. They are part of. The community that this is what a lot of people invest their lives into it's it's it, it's a release from them for, from their day-to-day life and th- those little things that, that rafa does that that the players do like going to the food bank like all the other great things the foundation does and all these other the bit of the bits and bobs it really does make a difference and it really does they're the things the club should really be applauded for and i think even during some of the the times where the club people have fallen out of love with the club for what they've done in terms of transfer policy and whatnot. To be fair, there are people at that club who those things have continued all the way through. Ticket prices have been reasonable, if not some of the best in the country. There's always been a really good foundation. There's always really, really been uh, the community ties there. But what Rafa's done since he's come in is he's strengthened them. He's realised that is actually the biggest asset, one of the biggest assets this club has, and to strengthen that and to make that bond even even stronger than it already was. It's all in a perspective. We'll look to Brighton now. Obviously, uh, Sunday kickoff. Brighton do play tonight. They played Bournemouth in the League Cup. Um, it appears that Chris Hutton has a bit of um, injury woes in midfield. Why does he have to bring two youngsters in to the to the first team squad to play tonight? So um, his first choice on um, Sunday can you know they, they get out of the game unscathed. 
I mean, how would you see Brighton so far, Chris? They've had a, a, an interesting start. They've got an important win, um, quite an impressive win as well, third game in, um, and, and that really helped. Oh, was it fourth game? Fourth, uh, whatever, I think it was four, fourth yeah, game it was in. Fourth sorry. game, yeah. Fourth game in, they got, they got that win, and that was important psychologically for them. They looked, they played quite well on Friday night at times, um, probably should have been further ahead than they were with just the one goal, and eventually it came back to bite them, and they, and they didn't get anything at Bournemouth, which is a game I think they would have targeted for at mm. least a point. Um, so Newcastle will go there confident here because of what they've done this term but also because of what they did when they went there last season mm. did very well a very good game again but fell behind early and Newcastle dominated large spells that game didn't get the two goals until the last 10 minutes or so but um, it's, it's, it's an interesting one because I think that Newcastle probably will actually go there as favourites now the way that it's going and, and, and teams will look at that and it's how Newcastle handle that favourites tag they handled it quite well on Saturday uh, never really looked un- under pressure at all and, and I think that they'll just go there and play a similar way they have done before at, at Huddersfield they're, they're still hadn't really kicked into, into gear yet and it wasn't it was, it was a scrappy game all around there neither team really got going mm. and, and the lack of a bit of intensity I think the confidence shown through their veins now Marino there controlling things in midfield really making things happen and it, it, I think that someone like Hossley was going to go there with a point to prove he, he had a point to prove against Stoke and, and didn't it didn't work out how he wanted to. Now the pressure's off slightly in terms of he's not thinking, right, this is my former club, I've got to score. Instead, he can go there and hopefully capitalise on, on, on the opportunities which Newcastle are creating. And that's the great thing to see at the moment. That they could have had three, four, five, even more on Saturday. I mean, a hammering would have flattered them because Stoke, I thought, contributed the game as well. They deserved to win Newcastle, but they were creating the opportunities and that's what's really pleasing to see because I have to be honest, at the start of the season... I was worried about goals. Now, seeing the amount of opportunities they're creating, the likes of Lascelles and Atu starting to contribute to the goals, that's going to take the burden off them necessarily needing a 15 to 20 goal striker if they can share the goals around a bit more because you assume Matt Richie at some point is going to start adding goals to the four assists he's already got as well. And obviously, Mark, you know, Chris Hewn's very well liked at Newcastle. A lot of people thought he was harsh you try even Mike Ashley admitted that he maybe was mm. a bit harsh on him um, you know, obviously he was the manager the last time Newcastle got promoted from the championship um, and what I mean a lot of people might not know is that actually there weren't dissimilar starts to, to, to what we've seen now seven points Hutton got in his mm. first five they, they were lying fifth you know Newcastle are fourth now yeah. he, had, he had a decent start to they had a decent start and then they fell away they fell away quite a lot I think after that and there was there was a lot of rumours, I think, and there were correct rumours at the time that I think they played Wigan um, and they needed a last minute equaliser. And I think he was going to get the sack then, basically, and then he, he lived to fight another day because then they went the next week to uh, Arsenal and won, and then they beat Sunderland, and then they went on this kind of run, I think, and they beat West Ham, I think, as well. I can't remember what it was, but it was like three games, I think, where they, they really, you know, he was very close to getting sacked very early on the following season because fundamentally, uh, Mike Ashley and Derek Lambias felt that any anybody could have got Newcastle out of the championship, which was, again, a misreading of the situation because Chris Hewton um, did a terrific job. And, you know, one of the things that Chris Hewton did really, really well because he wasn't a popular choice for manager at the time, I think it's fair to say, not... Not because of who he was, because I think a lot of Newcastle fans, um, you know, just didn't didn't really feel he was the character, the kind of personality that was required to get Newcastle out of the uh, out of the Championship. Because he'd come in and, and had a little bit of a caretaker spell, which we all forget. 
um, before Shearer got the job and when Kinnear fell ill um, and it was it did hadn't gone very well he he was very kind of he was very worried scared of his own shadow really in terms of what he said um, at that point and you just thought is he the strong is he a strong enough personality is he a you know is he a kind of hard enough man to be a manager because he'd always said he didn't want to be a manager and I think that what came through in those in, in the championship season was the, the measure of the man again a little bit like a kind of Rafa thing in, in a way in that he was so decent he worked so hard that season on his own you know a lot of the time he actually lost Colin Calderwood um, as his assistant when he when they got into the Premier League because Colin Calderwood left because Hewton, they wouldn't give Hewton a new contract um, so Colin Calderwood left to go to um, I can't remember he went to Scotland and he went uh, Hearts yeah, was it, it, was hard to, it was. Um, so he was doing a lot of it on his own in the Premier League season but Hewton was a fantastic man in terms of he was a very modern manager because he let the dressing room do quite a lot of the stuff that a manager normally would have done and he was the antithesis of the kind of Graeme Souness manager who came in and wanted to stamp his authority on he was very intuitive he understood the way that the dressing room he recognised what he had in that dressing room um, and there were occasions where he was learning on the job a little bit and you know he probably wasn't strong enough sometimes with Joey Barton um, although he didn't play a lot in the championship but then when he did play in the Premier League I think that Barton was um, you know was a very strong character and there was you know if you read Barton's autobiography which is a good read by the way a really good read he'll, he talks at length about the bonus dispute which ultimately did for Hewton um, because he wasn't you know he just wasn't perceived as being strong enough but I, I mean he was a you know a pleasure to deal with the, one of the nicest guys you could possibly meet but also a really underrated football manager wherever he's been pretty much with the exception of Norwich where I think he, he it didn't quite go for him um, he had massive success at Newcastle he was a big success at Birmingham actually as well where they had the Europa League and a champion and a championship campaign to kind of navigate on very limited funds. Then um, he's done a great job at Brighton as well. Um, so you know he is, I think, a real, a really, really, really good football manager. And I think he's done a great job at Brighton. The limitations that Chris Hewton has are, you know, that he's not. You know, his teams will probably never be the most expansive. He's quite cautious in a lot of ways. Um, but he's got a great group at Brighton. You know, they're another group without a star in their midst, really. They've got Knockhart, who's obviously a good player. But they've not got a lot of stars in there. They, they have to be, again, bigger than the, some of their parts. And they'll be strong, they'll be strong opponents on, on Saturday because they'll be looking at Newcastle as a, as a game they should win. Um, and, you know, and there isn't much between... If you look man for man, there's not much between those two, two teams. Um, you know, Brighton are as good as Newcastle on their day. Um, and it will be a case of whether Newcastle can kind of put the game plan into action and that beats Hewton's game plan but uh, we'll, he'll always have a massive um, a massive amount of affection in, on Tyneside with Chris Hewton because he was just a very decent very um, good guy at a time when Newcastle threatened it was threatening to go really downhill and he came in and steadied the ship and the players did a lot of that stuff as well there but um, he was you know he, he had a massive role in Newcastle's um, recent history he was a very positive figure for Newcastle and obviously Newcastle this season just agreed their bonuses Chris I mean do you think that that was that shows a bit of a difference between you know Benitez and Hewton that you know the, Benitez has managed to get the players to uh, to agree to it so early obviously we know Lascelles had a big part to play on it but I mean not agreeing that it, it could it could have thrown up a few, a few problems 
I think it would have thrown up a few problems. I think, I mean, Benitez wanted it resolved, but I think that it it seems that that, that Lascelles played a very big role, and that Mike Ashley himself also did. And in, in that, a Mike Ashley eventually changed his terms a little bit, and we know about the the massive bonus if if they win the FA Cup, which in some ways you can laugh at because you can think well it's almost like Mike Ashley saying I promise you 20 odd million pounds which I never give but on the other hand at least you say well that's, that is a big incentive not that a player should need an incentive to, to want to win the FA Cup but there there is an, an extra an added bonus on top if you if you do manage to bring silverware um, Rafa certainly wanted it resolved it was just another negative hanging over the club at the time which obviously then when they won a couple of games was almost forgotten about again but um I think that it shows a lot about Lascelles as, as a captain that the, the, the players, the rest of the dressing room were quite willing to let him really lead the final negotiations and he managed to get that resolved and I think that that's, that is a bit a big thing that the leadership group that, that Rafa's created within there, it is almost that they're a young group of lads but they're, they're also very mature in what they're trying to do beyond their years for want of a, a less cliched phrase and it's 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 just another thing which it's it was it would have been a distraction. It could have dragged on. It had to be resolved by the end of September anyway. But they've managed to get it done slightly earlier. It's a distraction which is now out of the way. They can't be told. They know what the bonus structure is. They know what they're going to get if they stay in the Premier League. They know it's a million pound extra no matter if they finish a position higher. And now they can just it's it's it, all of it now is there isn't even the League Cup, which you could say would be a cliched distraction or again. If you, ask any, if you ask any Newcastle fan, I think they'd say that they would rather be playing in that this week rather than having the week off. But then again, you're getting more time with Rafa to work with the players on the training ground. There isn't the need for squad rotation. There's not the issue they had in the whole game last year where it's, will Rafa play his strongest team in the whole game? Will he play it at the weekend? Can he play it three games in a row? So Yeah, nobody talks about rotation. I was thinking about this last yeah. on the way home on Saturday. Like The big buzzword last this time last year was rotation we were all talking about rotation and it was the big question for Rafa it was like oh rotation rotation you know, he was taking good he's taking his best player out of the team but of course he doesn't have to do it this year yeah. and, and you know uh, and it's interesting on the bonus on the bonus thing uh, and this 25 million pound bonus for the for the FA Cup um, you know as much as I am really sceptical about it, it it is interesting in that like one of the things that was a problem under previous managers was that the man the you know, the because it wasn't incentivized the cup, it wasn't a part of the bonus schedule. You'd often see a lot of the players because they know. I think the players knew that the, the hierarchy didn't see it as an as a key. They they would get week. They would some of them would get a week off, or they would get a game off, and they would go away. and And it was almost like then in the fourth round, there was a couple of times where Newcastle went away on sunshine breaks in the fourth, fifth round. Um, and and you know that 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 was a bad message to send. So I will give Ashley his due. I mean, although last summer, um, you know, there was a like last season. Sorry, that, um, that, that he wasn't he wasn't happy about the team that was played in the League Cup. And then I think what happened was in the FA Cup, um, he went to the Birmingham game, didn't he, with Graham Carr? Yeah, and, and there was apparently a very keen eye on who's playing in this game. Um, but I guess that now Kufram they're in, was up front for that game Kufram was up front with Mitrovic yeah, yeah Mitrovic. I, I guess that what's probably happened this year is because they're in the Premier League again and um, financially that's, that makes them sound I guess I suppose that Mike Ashley is just looking at that and saying well right we'll have a go for the FA Cup again um, it's a bit more scientific for Rafa I think and you know the bonus but the bonus thing does it does matter because it, it signifies from the hierarchy 
the FA Cup is important and one of you know there are a lot of, there are a lot of things that have gone wrong and all this but one of the, you have to kind of acknowledge the things some of the things when the club have done things wrong but the, maybe the motivation was right and one of the things was they incentivized heavily with Steve McLaren the FA Cup and I think it was top eight wasn't it or something mm. it was incentivized as well so those two things were incentivized because they felt that they could get there as it worked out it was the wrong man the wrong everything but having the FA Cup as being part of a priority for the season is a positive thing and also I think you've got the the League Cup they're now out of which is disappointing because the positive with the League Cup is you can get far into it in the first half of the season and then if if you say struggled in the league or whatever most of the games are out of the way and then you can just focus on the league Newcastle are now out of the League Cup have got the nine points now Hopefully, if they can keep a decent run going, as Mark said, by October, mid-October, get 15 points. By Christmas, be on 25, 30, 30, 30 would be really, really good. But be on a decent... Then, by the time it comes to the FA Cup in January, then you can almost prioritise the FA Cup if you are in a decent position in the league. And that's when Newcastle haven't been over the last few years. Pop, there was the few years where the FA Cup was mm. almost seen as, as, a, as a secondary competition anyway. But then there was also the fact that they would get to January and be in so much trouble that you could whichever manager couldn't really afford to play a strong team Rafa could if, if things keep going well have that luxury but obviously there's a long time between now and, and the first weekend of January when the FA Cup is definitely well we'll get sorry we'll get your predictions now for Sunday we'll start with you Mark what, what do you think is going to happen um, I, think, I think a score draw on, on Sunday um, potentially I'm, I'm favouring Newcastle I'm confident about Newcastle this week I was confident about them before Stoke as well I felt like they, they were I wasn't confident before against Swans because that was going to be a tough game. So, I, I, but I think score draw into a kind of Newcastle win. I think I'm kind of, you know, 60-40 the Newcastle will win. But I think I don't think they'll lose on some. Chris, uh, twos each. I think it'll be a, uh, I think it'll be a good game. I think two teams will, uh, will have a good go. The Newcastle Brighton every game I can remember has been quite a good game. Uh, both of them were last season. And I expect uh, I expect goals. So I'm going to go two to each other. Like Mark, I am leaning them all towards the, if one team is going to win. I think it'll be Newcastle. Do you think we'll see the army uh, special again? <laughs> Possibly off the bench, but uh, oh, he's where like, is he? Where he's is he? Not necessarily getting off the bench at the moment. Can't get in the team. Do you yeah. think the team will be the same as the one against yeah. Stoke? I mean, there's a lot of questions about Xavi. Whether it'll be Xavi, Mariano, Mourinho's kind um, of in it that he. At some point, you wouldn't mind playing with them. Is there even questions about maybe three across the centre? I think you go with. I think you go with 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 what they're doing at the moment. It, it looks good. Um, Rafa will, I'm sure, switch um, the midfield around. I don't think he'll necessarily bring a striker in. I don't think he'll change the striker. Uh, it will take a lot for him to change the striker now between now and now and Christmas because I think he really likes the way Rossley is doing it. But midfield wise. I think, he, I think Shelby will be back sooner rather than later, but um, not this Sunday. I think he'll he'll stick with what he's got. And it's good, isn't it? Shelby, you know, take, sit down and take your medicine. He, he made the big mistake. We've seen it. We saw it with him, Ben. We saw it with Mitrovic. They both had to basically wait for their chance, and it might be that Shelby has to wait as long as they do if, if the team's still playing. Yeah, I expect that to continue. I mean, the, the thing, the main primary factor why he didn't play at Swansea was he'd been away with uh, Ghana and had quite a lot of travelling, and so... Jacob Murphy been training with the team for two weeks didn't didn't play very well at all there Jacob Murphy and I think Rafa's going to work with him and he, he's a player that, that will get opportunities and will continue to get better but I still think he, I think he's raw to a certain extent Atu's in very good form I expect him to continue full back it'll be interesting to see what he does there because Yedlin came back in the team Mankio had been doing alright up to that stage and, uh, and Bemba's 
been playing well at left back, but does he does he switch it again? At, who, who, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if if it was if there was no changes. But then again, with Rafa, you can never you can never second guess. It always depends on what they do in training as well, yeah. which is because you could have you could, you'd have identified something with Brighton, and that could involve a different mm. player. To, to that's what he does. He, he pinpoints for certain games. He has a way of playing, but he has specifics within that which change and possibly he's, he's identified something breaking where something could change. But it's nice to be able to sit and talk about a manager and actually like rather than you know rather than sort of sitting there and say oh this is what you should do you basically just sit back and go well look like the guy knows you know we haven't really had a manager like that for a while and, and you know that probably sounds really disrespectful to McLaren and Pardew and even Carver who kind of obviously you know they know professional football really really well but you, you don't get many debates at Newcastle now about who should be playing where you got Mitrovic last season but that was just because, you know, Mitrovic wasn't it. And he had at the start of the season with Thierry Henry said, why isn't Mitrovic playing and stuff? And you just thought like, no, you know, look, like if Newcastle go on a long, long losing streak, then you say, oh, okay, well, you know, look, question marks have to be asked. But Newcastle fans, it was that big thing last year, wasn't it? Hashtag trust Rafa, you know. And if we're going to get in a rant about pundits, I just want to get in a thing about Chris Sutton this week because he annoys me anyway. But uh, <laughs> last night on... Monday Football Club. He was talking about uh, Dali Ali, and he was saying, "Oh, pe- people are now are now saying that D- Dali Ali can't play in these positions because of a couple of bad games." This is Chris Sutton, who, when one player has an average game, he comes in and absolutely ravages no matter who they are. So he's the worst. I think he's of of the pundits of the kind of new pundit class. He is the worst for. He has to have a strong opinion on everything. Yeah, kind of flip flops. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's nothing. It's like Joey Barnett, you know. We, you know, we did a piece today saying, oh, well, I was feared, fearful of them, and now I think they're going to be okay. Guarantee if they lose the next three games, he'll be saying, oh, then Newcastle are going to be banging trouble at the end of the season. That's the problem. You've got to, if you have an opinion on a team, it can't change because they win two games. Like we said at the start of the season, look, I, I still think that Newcastle are short of quality, that they need to finish as high as they can, you know. And, and I, I'm not, I, you know, I've said 15th at the start of the season, possibly revise a little bit upwards, but I still think it's, They'll be going some to finish in the top half of the table unless they sign players unless something changes. But you know, for them to look upon from the outside and say Newcastle are going to struggle, oh no, actually they're going to be okay because this Mourinho kid looks okay. It's like actually he did a bit of research into Mourinho. He thought actually he's going to be a good player. You know, um, ditto kind of ditto most like Lejeune. You know, we, so we said in the start of the season look, he's going to be a good signing, um, and that's that's the kind of that's the that's the crack with with. Newcastle and it's been really kind of interesting to see how little handle that people have on what Rafa Benitez is doing up here um, it's been really interesting because you have one season out of the championship it's almost like the Premier League pundit class aren't paying any attention to anything that's out of the championship they know four or five teams at the top and they have opinions on four or five teams at the top but I bet if you ask Jerry Barton look how are Stoke playing what's their formation who's their main man they don't know because they don't they're not it's like they're interested in the Premier League they're interested in the big stories of the Premier League so Arsene Wenger but they've all know inside out what's happening at Arsenal but they don't know you know okay how are Brighton playing you know what's happening at Watford you know tell me what, what's going on at West Brom what did they do this summer well I would have known if you're a Stoke fan on Saturday watching the game and the match the day the the, the, the bit of analysis afterwards on Stoke was when Phil Neville went uh, oh yeah they, they need to sort their way form and that was literally all that yeah. was said about Stoke and, you yeah. think, and, and Newcastle have that certain weeks and all teams get a new thing oh because well, Stoke fans hadn't realised they needed yeah. to sort their way form you still, hear, you still hear people talking about Stoke as 
oh, you know, it's going to be tough. It's they're, they're a long ball team. They're, they're Stoke are not a long ball team. They haven't been a long ball team for three years. Yeah. You know, they are they are big. They're physical. There's no doubt about that. But there's so much more to Stoke than than being long ball now, and it kind of annoys you a little bit that people sit there and say, oh, Stoke, can you do it on a hard? Or can you do it on a wet Wednesday at Stoke? Stoke have a lot more to them than long ball now. And if you didn't, if you're not seeing that, then and you're a pundit and your job is to analyse the Premier League that's your only job like, what are you doing you know like it's the Crystal Palace thing last week wasn't it everybody had a hot take on Crystal Palace last season it was like uh, last week and it was like you know oh Frank Burr's not got just like oh come on yeah <laughs> anyway we, we've and of course if any of the uh, pundits mentioned would like to come on as a special guest we'll, we'll welcome them Please. with their open arms um, yeah, and just as it would have, obviously, we mentioned the way Rafa changed things. I think it was, what was it, 18 yesterday to Boy Robson took charge of his first game. And you know, obviously, Alan Shearer has tweeted out, you know, he put the smiles back on everyone's face. And it's not dissimilar to what Rafa has come in and done, is it? You know, he changed the mood and direction of the club. And hopefully, fingers crossed, touch wood, we'll be uh, maybe getting a bit of the same success uh, as Boy Robson had. Well, it's a, well. I mean, the one thing about um, Newcastle and Rafa and Newcastle and Sir Bobby, who I wouldn't have the pleasure to be here at, the, at that point, is that um, you know you've got somebody in there who's an obsessive, and you know Sir Bobby was a football obsessive, and I think you know you can you can see it in Rafa that he loves football. It's that that thing of like he's almost obsessed by it, isn't he? he just loves football, and I think that you um, you know. If, if Newcastle are back in the way if they, they back Rafa in the way that they back Sabobi there's no reason why Newcastle can't be successful under Rafa Benitez um, and uh, yeah, yeah I mean Sabobi built a team didn't he that had its flaws you know they, they weren't successful all the way through but um, you know I think I think that there's that feeling of on Saturday as we walked away from the ground and everybody was kind of up and stuff that's what Newcastle United can be about. It's a great feeling on match day, even as a non-Newcastle fan, just somebody reports on them to kind of feel that way. And I think that's what Sir Bobby did for the most part at Newcastle then. And that's what, that's what Rafa said. It, it, what Sir Bobby did, what Kevin Keegan did, is they channeled what is the biggest strength that Newcastle have that some people say is the biggest weakness, but really is the, is, is, is the fan base, is the fact that there is such affection and genuine desire to see this football team on a Saturday do well not expect that they don't they don't expect the world what they expect to see is they want to go and be entertained but not in a way that are gung-ho necessarily but they just want to go and pay the money and see exactly what that they want for themselves to be in their football team and it, it's about buying into that it's about ex- appreciating the fans and showing appreciation to them and i think the raffer is, is starting to buy into that look where the, he, he delivered the championship last season which was brilliant but was still the very hopefully start of what he can achieve if he is backed by uh, the owner and that is it, it, it's exciting for Newcastle fans to think what could be but at the same time there's, there's that there's that nervousness and trepidation as to is he going to be allowed to do it and that's that's the one big thing that I'm sure any Newcastle fan would say to Mike Ashley is please allow him to see what can be achieved definitely I think we'd all uh, we'd all back that message thank you very much uh, you head over to chroniclelive.co.uk for all the latest Newcastle United news, obviously we're bringing you live coverage of the match at uh, Brighton on Sunday. Uh, if you listen to this on iTunes, please uh, subscribe and rate it five stars if you really like it, which I'm sure you do. It's also available on Spotify. The link will be um, in the store on the website later. Uh, and we shall be back next week. This is Acast Recommends. 
Every week, we pick one of our favourite shows. And this is one we think you're going to love. Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd, and I recently had a baby with Ed Miliband. A baby podcast, that is. It's a spin-off of our show, Reasons to be Cheerful. It's called Cheerful Book Club, and it's conversations with some of the best writers working in the world today. You'll really enjoy our chats with people like US broadcasting legend Rachel Maddow, literary giant Ian McEwan, and the big short and moneyball author Michael Lewis. Feed your brain with ideas from the Cheerful Book Club. You'll find us on the excellent Acast app or wherever else you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from Ireland and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts.